This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. open wine yet but i have a little surprise oh our podcast sponsor today i'm going to remember this stuff eventually is skunk brother spirits if you use coupon code dwa10 you get 10 percent off your order they are freaking amazing but we have another sponsor that's coming up in the not too distant future and if you do the youtube episode you'll see what it's going to be and anyway i decided to drink out of one of their glasses today and I am drinking, once I pour this, I apparently can't do more than one thing at a time tonight. Um, I am drinking Angry Orchard Unfiltered Hard Cider. I am oh. enjoying this because it's not too ridiculously sweet. So I, I like cider. Yes. Okay, Sierra, what are you drinking with us today? Okay, so mine's a little ridiculous. I had a... a you it's have a ridiculous day. drink. I know, no. I know. I had to completely rewrite one of one of my books today because I missed something. So I rewarded myself with a bougie drink. Oh. So this is homemade lemonade with fresh raspberries. And I have way too much vodka in it, but it's so good. It's really solid drink. Okay. And I think there was at one point when, the, when this whole thing started, there was also a sugar rim on it because my husband got involved and anybody who knows him knows he is super extra. So if you want the full experience, you got to do the sugar and honey rim. Put, put a sugar rim on it and mine's oh. just, I put it in a glass, which is Erica fancy for beverage. So, <laughs> Joyce, what are you drinking with us today? So I am drinking a Rivers Marie Pinot Noir from 2020 and my husband collects wine so he graciously gave me um, that bottle and I'm drinking it in a, a grays and grapes glass which Ooh, you're even more fancy than I am so that says a lot we, we, well you know we, we try <laughs> yes I appreciate it I appreciate it. somebody's got to be fancy on this show Okay, so Joyce, for the audience at large that doesn't know you, what do you write? So, um, so I just started writing in my second life. Um, so I worked for 30 years in at a nuclear physics laboratory. And <laughs> And That's I knew, and I designed. We're just gonna gloss over that. We're just I'm gloss- gonna let her, gonna let her finish her whole thing, but we're gonna have to go back to that. We're gonna come okay. back. To that. We'll come back to that. Um, and when I retired in 2019, I always liked to write and wanted to write from when I was a little kid, and so I decided to write a historical fiction novel based on the true story of my granduncle who played baseball in the 1910s, 1920s. And so right when I retired in the fall of 2019, and then of course in 2020, everything kind of shut down. And so I did um, some online um, workshops and things that got me started to write the book. And then I think I have to say it's one of the things that got me through the pandemic because I had something to do every day and um, and I was able to write the book in about a year. Very cool. And the name of this book that you have written? So the name of it is Joe Harris, The Moon. So, of course, my granduncle's name is Joe Harris, and his nickname when he played baseball was The Moon, and so, um, hence the title. I have it. So, is this? Oh, you can hold it up, please. Shave yourself promotion. So, what was that, CR? 
is was it like a, a biography that you wrote or is it like a, a twist with some fiction in it it's um so basically the story is true um i i called it historical fiction because i filled in things that you know i didn't really know for sure about you know maybe he's he stayed in a boarding house here or there and i made up some characters that um, he could have met, but who knows for real. But a lot of it um, is is true. And um, he he started out working in a coal mine in southwestern Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. And um, he he uh, started working when he was twelve because that's what they did back then. You know, you went to school till you were in like sixth grade, and then you went to work. And it was like one of those company towns where the mining company owned the whole place and everybody worked for the mine or worked some way to support the mine. And, you know, of course he hated it. I don't know who would like it, but um, he, he wanted to get out. And so every chance he got, he was playing baseball and he was um, seen by a scout and the scout had him go to um, some, picked him up and had him go to a couple minor league places to play. He played in Bay City, Michigan, and then he went to play in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when he was there, he got scouted again by someone from the Cleveland Indians. And the, they, they picked him up and he went to Cleveland to play. And um, then World War I happened. And um, from what I understand, they promised the um, baseball players that they would go to the war and play baseball to keep up the morale of the troops. But um, in the end, that's not what happened. <laughs> they had to fight and he um, proved himself in the, in the war. And then they signed the armistice and he was hitched a ride in an ambulance to get back to the debarkation point and the ambulance wrecked. And his um, skull got crushed in, ribs broken, leg broken in a couple places. So he had to stay extra time in Europe to recuperate. And then when he came back, he came back right in the middle of the Spanish flu epidemic, which, you know, we can all relate to now. Um, and they thought he would never play again, but he fought to get back into it. And he went to play um, back for Cleveland. He had, um, then he, then he went to play for, um, at that time, there was not just the American League and the National League like there is today, there were all these little um, startup leagues that uh, like companies owned. And so he went to play for one of those leagues because they threw in a billiard hall for him to mess with in the off season. So then when he wanted to go back and play for the, the other two leagues, he had to go kind of beg for his job back. And there's kind of a funny, like uh, one of our family stories was that this Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was this real tough judge, who was the baseball commissioner, um, said, well, you know, maybe you got hit in the head when you were in the war and, and, and that caused you to make some bad decisions. And so we're going to let you come back and play. Oh, so that's. That sounds like a really fun story. So he came back and went on to play in the World Series. He played in two different World Series, one um, for the Washington Senators and one for the Pittsburgh Pirates that played against the Yankees, where he played against Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And um, of course, the Pittsburgh Pirates lost, but um, tradition. he did go. <laughs> Hey, he was, he was present. He was good enough to make it there. And so all that part was true. That, so that was like, I didn't really have to make up an interesting story because that part of the story was true and, and interesting enough. So, um, you know, he got married along the way and those kinds of things. Never had any kids and 
Don't give away the whole story. Okay, okay sorry. <laughs> have a drink. Don't give away. We'll have a drink. Don't give away the story. Okay, let's. But we need to. We need to turn back the time here to when you said the words "nuclear physicist." So, um, you want to go back to that? You want to take a little jaunt as to what the hell are you talking about? We just gloss over. So yeah, just well. So I did. Um, engineering and design work and uh, so you know you i think well probably happens to a lot of people i mean you go down a path right and then you you think you know you have kids and things work out that you stay there and so um so i went so i went to work for a couple different companies that made different kinds of vacuum products so um um, one company made like freeze dryers for coffee and um, pharmaceutical draw, uh, dryers and things that they did under vacuum. So then this um, opportunity came up where I could work at this physics laboratory because they needed people who understood vacuum and cryogenics and magnets and things like that. And so, um, so I went there and of course it was a good place to have kids. Um, it, it was working for the Department of Energy. There was a consortium of universities and they uh, managed this laboratory for the Department of Energy and it's a continuous beam electron accelerator. And I, and I worked in one of the- and, and she wrote a book about baseball. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I right? like you have all of these stories and you went with a, a grandfather's baseball story. I mean, I may go back to this. <laughs> I have a lot Same of like the stories that you could come up with and present. You said cryogenics, like, cryogenics. Freezing? like freeze, freezing people's heads and things like that. But when I mean, we didn't freeze heads, but we we knew how to. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That is so much of a story right there. That is so awesome. I like how she's just like, yeah, so we particle accelerator then I'm like, like freezing heads and stuff. You know? Yeah. Every, no big deal. every day at the office, everybody goes through listening. this. Well, you know, and that's the thing. When I first went there to work, I thought this is going to be crazy, right? Because you, you know, this is like cutting edge stuff. And, but, you know, I came to realize that, that, you know, everybody puts one foot on the floor when they get out of bed, just like you and me, they're just people. And <laughs> yeah, they're just people who are freezing people's heads and stuff. I mean, just people like that. Joyce, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not, you're like, it's so simple. No, it's so simple. No, it's not. no, listen, if you, if you can play pool, you can do nuclear physics. That's all it is. So, so the- I feel like well, I can, okay. uh, now you're gonna have I to play I should not be trusted with nuclear physics. Go ahead. So, so we, so we take an electron and we speed it up to the speed of light. We shoot it into a target and the target can be uh, like a piece of carbon, a piece of foil. So there's atoms, you know, there's, you, you, all, you know your basic chemistry, there's atoms and in the middle of the atom, there's a nucleus and the nucleus has protons and neutrons in it. And protons are positively charged and neutrons have no charge. So there's no reason why if you take two magnets and you have, you put, put the same poles together, like those little Scotty dog magnets. Do you remember those? Yes. And you push the two like poles together, the Scotties will flip apart, right? If you put the, the negative and the positive together, they stick together. So inside the nucleus, there's all positive charged basically because the neutrons are neutral. So why does that stay together? That shouldn't stay together. That should fly apart because it's positively charged. So we take this electron and put it into the nucleus and it's just like shooting a cue ball into the 
into the triangle of balls and the cue ball goes in and all the balls go everywhere. All right, well, I have a new career path. See, and that's what we did. We <laughs> shot the new, we shot the electron into the target and stuff would come out and we would look at the stuff that came out. That was basically the job with a few, um, you know, different physicists wanted to do different variations of it, but that was it basically. I feel like this is a very, very simplified version. <laughs> but that, if, I, if I showed up at the plant and said, so I talked to Joyce Miller and I know how to play pool. So she says I'm correctly armed. They'll, they'll say, come on in. <laughs> And then I'm part of the experiments getting cryogenically. And then, <laughs> and then you're part of the experiment and you get your name on a whole bunch of white papers and you're published and you're a published scientific author. Oh, that's Erica. We have free weekends all the time. That's See? true. That's true. I think we would get in a lot more trouble than not and never be heard from again. That's the what greatest I scientific ex, the greatest scientific discoveries were done by accident i exactly. feel like science. we got this we can do and and i believe there's a lab in the pacific northwest too so i don't even think you have to come to virginia i think oh no i'm closer to virginia i'm in north carolina oh Just you're in north carolina Florida. oh well then okay then you guys can come to virginia there you go We'll come to Virginia. We'll knock on the door. We'll say, Joyce told us to come here. We know how to play pool. Let us and, in. Okay. Us paper. And Let's make it happen. <laughs> so Joyce, you wrote this book in 2020, basically, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So what are you working on now? So I just, I just finished. Now I have to tell you another story. So I just finished right. an, <laughs> another. Um, I've just finished a memoir that has nothing to do with nuclear physics because I'm saving that. Um, so for 20 years, I did greyhound adoption. Oh. And, and, um, and so two of the greyhounds that I adopted, I went on to do a dog sport called canine freestyle, which is also known as dog dancing. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry. Start Googling. CR, Google immediately dog okay. dancing. This needs to be canine freestyle dog dancing. Look it up. You'll love it. I, I she's seeing it. It's you're speechless, and that almost that I don't even know when that's ever happened before. Like it's just the there are competitions. There, there are, are competitions. sports. This terrier won last year. Is he going to make it this year? I don't is know. He, There's a whole he? story. Okay. So, so, so you, so how they, does one get into dog dancing? So, so it's in my memoir when you read it. Um, the, but how I got into it was I, um, I had a friend who did dog training and I trained this um, little mixed breed dog to um, like sit and stay and all the things you train a dog to do, right? Are you guys dog people or? Yeah, Chelsea has yeah. a dog. Okay. I don't know on the yes. training thing how that's working out, but. Oh, he's a brilliant freaking dog. Okay. Except he decided that he can hoard my socks and open my drawers and now he steals ice out of the fridge. So that's fun at 2 a.m. Okay. Breaking in. You think you hear the. It's like the slot machines, right? So, and I'm getting, used to have a dog. And it sounds like breaking glass. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting a new puppy this month. An English oh, puppy. Shepherd. Are you kidding? Very good. A little English shepherd puppy. It's a little black and white puppy. It's super. Oh, how adorable. Get a golden retriever. They're easy. <laughs> English shepherds are pretty easy too from that aspect because yeah. they're, they're work dogs. And they, you, they can be trained. Greyhounds are not so easy to train because they either want to be running or sleeping. Kind of in between is not good for them. But anyway, I trained this little mixed breed dog. And at the time you couldn't really do anything other than that with a mixed breed. You had to have a purebred dog to do any kind of dog sports like agility or rally or whatever. And so my friend said, well, we, we could try this 
canine freestyle because they do it in the UK and there's all, you know, all kinds of competitions and you don't have to have a purebred dog. You just train your dog to do the things they need to do and, and you go on. So you train them to do um, some simple movements like spinning and circling around you and backing up and coming towards you. Then you pick a piece of music and you choreograph what you trained them to do to the music so it looks like they're dancing. And like CR said, there's competitions and you get and you get and you get scored for artistic in interpretation and technical score. So just like pairs ice dancing, you get um, a score for how you artistically interpreted the songs and the dance. And then you have to do a certain number of technical movements to move up in the ladder, like, you know, how the ice skaters have to do a triple sow cow or whatever. The dogs have to do certain things. I found the outfit website. I just want to get them to make my dog walk around in a tux. See? <laughs> And see some there's what do so bad. There's different organizations and some let you dress up the dog and some of them don't. Just depends on which organization you go with. But so, then you have a pair of them, like you can have like a pairs of figure skaters, you can have two of them at the same time. Well, well no, you're the you're the other part of the pair. Oh so, so you're the you're in the ring with the dog when you're dancing and you're cueing them to do the things they need to do. So you're you're like the other part of the pair. They have so, dance groups, Erica. I'm gonna send you some links. Oh my it's god, crazy. you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. You're gonna want to do it with your new puppy. And I'm gonna. <laughs> if I walk upstairs and tell Jonathan, fun story, hun. Not only are we gonna do obedience training, but we're gonna have a dance so they have people these videos like you have to send your dog like so i was looking obviously google mm -hmm. uh you have to they have trainers to teach your dogs how to dance and you have to send audition videos to them so they can decide whether or not they want to teach your dog how to dance yes and then they have these dance groups that you get to go into and they all choreograph together and you yes. just have a bunch of so when yes. is this book hard. coming out joyce because this book Man. this book I is coming out in in june and it's called look you're dancing that's the name of it that's coming out in june and it's a memoir so it's really different from the historical fiction so it's kind of the story of how i got into it and then i also kept up with the greyhound adoption and i um, worked with them and i did home visits like people who want to adopt a greyhound, I would take my dogs to their house because sometimes people wouldn't realize how big they are and they'd want to get one and they'd live in a little tiny apartment and then they'd realize that, that maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And, um, and I also did, um, if somebody took a greyhound and then for any reason they, that they ha had to give it back, if you know they had a kid and the kid was allergic to it or they moved or whatever, we took the dogs back and I did that too for the Greyhound Adoption Group. So oh, wow. the, mem the memoirs all about that because you wouldn't believe the stories that people tell you when you go in their house and um, to see you know, if their house is a good fit for a Greyhound or not. So, oh, um, I do, you know. I've done human resources for 25 okay. years. So, yeah, it you would might take know. quite a bit to surprise me. You might know. Yeah. Sometimes they would, there's your dog. We, we could teach that dog to dance. I don't know how he got in the back door. <laughs> He's a, a Houdini. Your husband opened it. We just watched it on the camera. I didn't see it. I was watching her. It's here. I just saw all of a sudden he was like right in my face and I wasn't paying attention because I was listening to Joyce talk and apparently my husband's trying to sabotage me. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly what's happening. And that is a writer's version of just what went down right now with the dog behind in the back door. We just know that he heard you talking about dogs and so he let the dog in. 
and dog dancing and dog he doesn't like he doesn't like being away from me so like if he's not near me he whines Uh so that's the perfect dog for dog dancing because that's when you get the highest scores when you have a dog (laughs) and a handler that are very well bonded and the dog doesn't want to leave the handler's side that's when you get really good it's more like a one-sided bond (laughs) (laughs) no there's no such thing that is not true that is i love that dog don't get me wrong but there will be times that we forgot to lock his cage at night because he chooses the cage we don't it's huge it's ridiculous but like one one day i woke up and i was like what the hell is this and he was just panting in my face and like that's my line i have a line and you and you just the line Sweaty breath on your face is the line. Exactly. That's what woke me up. It was like 3 a.m. I was like, what, what is this? Yeah. That's my line. I don't think I could be a dance partner. I don't even dance. So like I'm I don't think I could dance with a dog. It sounds exciting, and I definitely saved a couple videos that I'm going to be sharing later. Very good. <laughs> Hashtag dog dancing, hashtagging me found CR's line. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna take a quick break and be right back with drinking with alters. <laughs> we- Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, so Joyce, that one's coming out in June, the mm-hmm. book, and we found Chelsea's line, no sweaty dog breath in her face. <laughs> no. Um, what What are you working on now then? So, um, so my next book is going to be another historical fiction. And again, I'm going to go way off of, you know, these things that I could write about. Um, but I'm going to write uh, about a woman artist who lives in... Northern Virginia, well, she doesn't live there anymore. She's dead now, but she lived in Northern Virginia. And um, and she was married to an American Impressionist painter. And when she got married, she kind of quit her own art. Um, so she, she didn't paint anymore. And so I just think that's fascinating and so I want to explore that and write about that and it's the same time period as my uncle's granduncle's um, baseball book so I kind of have some of the research done already and so um, I want to write about that. Wow so that begs to ask so you decided to write and you're 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 writing you are not like i kind of think i'm gonna write you're like no i'm writing all the time and doing do you have a list of books you want to write uh not not past this one um maybe some maybe books but um so it's a maybe book out of curiosity yeah so I so I have a couple artists that I'm interested in writing about, and um, so I may do one of them. And then again, I think so. When I wrote the memoir about the dog dancing, I was torn between writing a one about physics or writing about the dog dancing, and I chose the dog dancing. But I could also um, write about. 30 years in a nuclear physics laboratory as a woman 
one of the few women that were um, there. So no, that's I, awesome. I think that's cool. So you're writing more true life stories. Was that always your intention or did you want to write? I know you're kind of writing a little historical fiction because yeah. you don't know, um, you know, every little person your uncle met and it's not like he downloaded his entire universe right. to you before which i think is great and i think there's a little bit of that for the most part anyway with a lot of biography type fiction because you know there's yeah. only so much one can know um and i and i didn't want to do like little footnotes and things like that i did like i did enough of that in technical things i had to do and so i wanted to be have a little more freedom so that makes sense. What about actual, like, real fiction? Like, have you, let's, we're going to have to go back in time again. When did okay. you have your desire to write to begin with? Because it sounds like you had a desire, but then had life happen and stuff. So when did it all, when did it begin? So when I was a little kid, you know, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine years old, I all was always writing stories. And I wrote, uh, so I, what I would do, and maybe this is what led me to how I write now, but I would pick something in our house, like a vase or something, and I would make it be um, alive, and it would observe what was around, and it would collect the stories of what was going on around it, which oh, was wow. really, which was really our life, right? And so, um, and so. Uh, that was kind of the the stories I used to write when I was little, but you know, then I uh, I got out of it as I as I got into junior high school and high school, um, I got put into a gifted class and accelerated math, accelerated science, and I and I was good at that, even though I didn't really like it, and. So I got pushed in that direction because I was good at it. And so, and you know, people were like, don't, you don't need to be a writer. You know, you could go and do physics. You could go and do mechanical engineering. That, that's better. And so then you do that. And of course the money's really good. And I used to call it the golden handcuffs because you would, um, they paid, you know, good money and I had kids and, you know, so I just kind of went that way. But then when I retired, I thought I'm going to go back and do what I always wanted to do. That is awesome. And I, and, you know, I understand that, especially, you know, in, in a time when not that it was ever easy necessarily to be a female in it, but there was definitely some times I'm sure throughout your career where they we're very happy to have at least one woman on the floor so they could yeah. go look we have yeah. a woman you know yeah. <laughs> here's our woman every every opportunity you'd get dragged out like here's our woman look yeah. that is fascinating <laughs> so um, it took you a year to write the book do you think that's because of all the research and stuff the first one well, the, so I have a cousin who did a lot of the baseball research because I was not, uh, I, I like to watch baseball, but I wasn't, a, I wasn't into it the way he was. And he had gone, like he would go to, <clears throat> excuse me, he would go to libraries. And this was of course, before you could like look things up on the internet, he would go to libraries and sit and look at microfiche of old newspapers and see if they wrote any articles about him and he collected all that stuff so that was a lot of that part of it was done for me and um and so at the beginning of the pandemic you know there were all these online workshops and people were trying to figure out you know how how are we going to live and how are we going to manage all this and um i i I guess I was searching on something and I found this um, free two week long. It was called Finding the Writer Within. It was like this um, workshop where different writers and different um, spiritual coaches and things like that. And every day they'd send you a video and you would watch the video. And um, so that's kind of how I started it. 
um, I thought, well, I have this, all this research that my cousin did, so I can use that. And I made a outline because he had every year he had, well, he did this and this year and this and this year and this and this year. So I had all that. And, um, and so then the same woman who put that on then had a paid workshop called Book in 90. And so you once a week, they would meet on Zoom, the group of women. Well, I think there was one guy. And, um, and everybody was trying to write a book and we would support each other. And um, so basically I got the first draft done in that 90 days. And then I just had to get it edited and you know, you know all that stuff, work on it and that. Well, that is, so I have, to, I have two questions that have sprung to mind. Okay. How did you get published? So it's self-published. I um, published it with Ingram Sparks. Very cool. Yeah. And what about um, your family? What has your family thought of it? My family's been thrilled with it. And just, so it's been out for a year now. And just within the last month or so, I've had um, people like come out of the woodwork that are distant relatives and I'm not real sure how they find it. But um, so I had one guy, um, so you know how people find you on Instagram and like men find you and they'll send you these notes and go, uh, you know, you're beautiful and I think you're lovely and why don't we be friends? And I just delete those right away. So I got a message like that and and uh, not not saying I was beautiful or anything, but from the, a man that I didn't know. And so I just deleted it. And then he sent me another message and he said, I think we're related. And so then I started to talk to him on Messenger. And uh, he said, you know, I found this book and like my, you know, however, my, my great grandma was this and this uncle was was related to this nephew or whatever and then he said uh yeah my grandpa was your 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 granduncle's nephew and he said he used to tell us stories about uncle joe taking him in the dugout with babe ruth and they would eat ice cream in the dugout so and i was like dang i wish i would have known that i would have put that in the book and then it wasn't but a week or so later, this other guy got in touch with me a similar way. I think he wrote me an email on my website and he said, yeah, um, Uncle Joe had a endorsement deal with a clothing company in Pittsburgh. And every time he hit a home run, he got a free suit and he would take um, our grand, their grandfather, who was his nephew, they would take, he would take Neith to the store and let, you know, sometimes he would get, let him get the suit. And, and because it was like ready to be the depression, things were, you know, winding down. And, and so he said, he, yeah, and he would get my, my, my grandfather got a couple free suits from him hitting home runs. And so it was things like that, that, um, and they're just like thrilled with the book. So, and I, who knows who else is going to contact me and tell me some more stories. Wow. That's so is that awesome. fun? Does that, it, like, is that exciting for you? Yeah. Like yeah. people that knew your, your grandfather coming or, forward or, and like talking with you? Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. And it's, um, and it just makes it come more alive, you know, to, to um, hear the stories, you know, because he was a, a fascinating person to begin with and uh, I never knew him he died the year I was born so I never knew him but some of my other cousins even met him so what um what made you choose to self-publish it um the I didn't want to wait I was impatient with my first book and um and so and the person that ran the book in 90 thing um she encouraged us to self-publish and kind of held our hand and walked us through it which made it 
uh, a lot less scary than it, it um, would have been otherwise, because uh, some of the things I just wouldn't have had a clue of what to do. So um, I did try, I did talk to one um, agent and he was kind of interested, but then he gave me a no. And I know then you're supposed to, you know, try with 99 other agents, but I thought, oh, well, he said no. So I'll just do it myself. But now I realize, you know, you now you have to do all the marketing and all the other things that aren't writing. Well, and unfortunately, I think until you get to a certain point, you have to do that anyway. Huh. Like 99% of authors have to do that. There's only 1% that the publishing companies um, in general, I should say, uh, do a lot of marketing for. Otherwise, it doesn't matter even if you get a Macmillan contract, they're not necessarily going to publish, uh, do a lot of marketing, if any, for you at all. Hmm. And a lot, even the people that they do do marketing for it, they get them marketing managers where like yeah. the author is paying for it. So yeah. it's not the same as it used to be where, you know, you get signed and you have this great thing and they take care of everything. You can be in that creepy cabin up in the woods yeah. and like drink all day. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. No, they don't. Huh? Creepy cabin in the woods. Where the hell are you? I'm anyway. I've been doing a lot of weird research lately, so like it's I, all I'm very a little. Dark. I'm a little afraid of what you're oh, researching. Yeah, the end of this round's gonna be. Uh -huh. Oh my god! I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Okay, so let's talk about your little um. Yeah, I mean that cover on the book. You can hold it up again if you'd like to continue uh -huh. seamless, seamless self promotion. Uh -huh. Did you do that, or did you have somebody do that for you? I, I have a, a friend in the Greyhound community who who's a graphic designer, and he took this idea like right out of my head. I don't know how he did it. So this is Joe's actual picture, and you can see where his face is kind of caved in on the side where he was in that wreck. And then this is the moon. And so I said, could you think you could put his face in the moon? And could you like put like some baseball-y kind of, um, kind of um, text or font. And he was like, sure. And so he came up with this and then we decided to make it um, like a sepia tone, like old, you know, 1920s. Um, so yeah. It, it's pretty brilliant. I'm not gonna lie. I like it. Right. It's well All done. Right. Okay. I will give points. Very well done. I've seen many covers. From self-published it's different and I'm think like, hmm, what were you thinking yeah. when you did that? <laughs> I think it, it's so different. I think it almost makes it stand out. Yeah. And and you know, if for you know, I've gone to a few um like again online things and and they're always like you have to pick where what shelf your book is gonna sit on and things like that. And and you know, the cover needs to look like the other covers that are in that genre and I suppose that's true but um I just but like, I don't know I think it does it? though I think when it comes to things like that I think it does as a publisher hold on uh -huh. as a publisher no I think it does I think you're in a good space there because yes I do agree with what they're saying if you're going to write a high epic fantasy novel more than likely it's going to have a sword or a fucking wizard or a dragon yeah. or a, a wolf in an Elephant. Arctic atmosphere <laughs> like it's it's going to have one of these things that is a tip but it's not bad because your readers especially your readers when we're talking about thumbnails like so you've mm. got that little thumbnail yeah. that somebody's looking at like on their phone or on the computer, generally they don't have the whole cover unless they click into it. Uh -huh. You've just got to create something where somebody goes, oh, okay, that's the that's type of book I'd like to read. And if you talk to readers, they know, kind of like the whole thing with um, like paranormal romance books where there's always a, a scantily clad, whether it's a shirt being shown. Okay, your dog uses that door. I, Sarah, I need you to get used to it. It's, it's embarrassing for everyone right now. Um, or depending, I kind of scantily clad female, more usually, you know, like a yeah. you know, little tanky top type thing. But you you look at the cover and you go, yep, that's the type of book. That's what I want to read. That's my book. Yeah. 
And I think this says baseball, you know, it looks baseball -y. It absolutely does. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I think it absolutely does. Okay, CR, questions? I know that you're you're doing all these sort of, and I think Erica kind of touched on it. Do you want to branch out to other genres? Or are you more focused on the historical, the the biographies and things like that? Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the um, historical things. So that's probably after I get done with this memoir, which I'm also self-publishing, um, that's where I'm going to go, I think. I like it. I like it. I like it. So where do you write? I mean, COVID has kept us all inside houses and stuff, but where do you find your mojo? You've been a parent, so you're used to operating around a lot of noise, but does it need to be really quiet? What is your, what is your ideal um, writing situation? I'm a more, I'm a morning person. I get up really early. Um, I, of course I have a greyhound right now. So we get up at like five, five thirty, and I walk him and then I come back and have my breakfast and then I sit down and write usually for I don't know two or three hours in the morning and I try to one day a week spend that time doing some kind of marketing stuff if it's sending emails or um, putting stuff on social media or something like that and then the other four days or sometimes just three days I'll, um, I'll write during that time. So, um, and I, this is where I sit. This is my little corner of my bedroom. When we retired, we moved into a condo and because um, I didn't want to do yard work or shovel snow or anything like that anymore. And so um, I have this little nook in the corner of my bedroom and that's where I write. I think that's awesome. I think downsizing can be amazing. Oh. I just... I just it's hard to do. <laughs> I have a house on a mountain now. So, Ooh. but let me just tell you, I avoided I having yard work because oh. I'm on a mountain oh. and there is not a yard so to okay. speak, on my mountain. Okay. I was like, I will let nature do its thing. <laughs> Go nature, do your thing. Although I did plant tulips the other day. I was very proud of myself. Oh, so yeah, because I'm now in North Carolina instead of Florida where uh, tulips don't grow in Florida because uh, it's basically a very uh, hot swamp. It's so. a furnace. It is a furnace. It is a furnace. Absolutely. So you talked about um, signing up for writers courses. Have you created a little writing community for yourself? I have. We have a, um, I have a couple ladies who were in the book in 90 and when it finished, um, we can, we continued on and we meet on zoom once a week. And one of them is from Colorado and one is from Arizona. And, um, so we kind of meet in the afternoon, which works for all of us afternoon, my time, um, it's morning, their time. And, um, and we, um, support each other and, um, cry when things go wrong and um, rant and rave and um, just it's it's really nice that's very very cool what about um, uh, reviews have you gotten a lot of reviews uh, I, I'm not a fair number not a huge number um, right away um, so because he played Joe played baseball in the 1920s there's a, a Society for American Baseball Research, and they reviewed the book. Um, so I had to send like seven copies to their reviewers, and um, and they were overall positive. Uh, but I did make a couple mistakes, um, like I had the wrong uniform for one of the teams, and they pointed that out. But um, it was like all good. And then at the end, it was like, but this is wouldn't be a contender for their, um, they had some kind of an award they gave out to the best, they call it the dead ball era, the best dead ball era baseball book. So it wouldn't make it because I made these couple of errors. And, um, but overall, the guy liked the book and liked the writing and things like that. So 
Well, the cool thing is, especially because you self-published, you can fix all that. You could go in and add the story about the ice cream. I could. Go in and add the story about the suit mm -hmm. and then republish it and go, here's your book with your right colored uniform. Yeah. I shouldn't say like that. I'm going to get baseball hate mail. Like one of the novellas, you could just do all the stories you have collected from like, oh. your cousins and things. You could just like expand on those. Mm -hmm. I could. Lots of options. There's lots of options. I agree. I agree. Okay. CR, I'm going to let you have the final question of this particular podcast, my friend. No pressure, but it better be good. <clears throat> so when you, because you self-published, how did you feel at the very end when you got to hold it in your hands? Oh, I, I felt, I felt really good. I felt really accomplished and I felt like um, this is something that a lot of people talk about doing, but don't do. Don't ever get to that point where you're holding it in your hand. Or like when I cut open the box from the publisher and pulled them out and they looked like this and they looked like a real book and, and my picture was on the back and it was, it was just great, yeah. That was a good question. Okay, I'll give you points on that. Just that okay, Joyce, what advice would you give authors out there? I, I would just tell them to, to show up. That's, that's um, 90% of it. Like show up at your computer, your laptop, your piece of yellow legal pad paper, your typewriter, whatever it is. Um, because like I said, like most of the people just don't, don't do that. And that's the a whole, most of it showing up. I agree with you 1000%. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. Hold up your book again. Okay. So it is called? Joe Harris, The Moon. And you can find out where to get it on my website, which is www joyceamiller.com and um, also you know you can get it anywhere you buy books um, they can order it for you any indie bookstore um, Barnes and Noble has it Target has it all of them have it very very cool it has been awesome talking to you thank you so much for being on the podcast my friend thank you thank you for having me of course of course okay guys this has been Drinking with Authors I've been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. DWA 10 is a coupon code, veteran and family-owned distillery in Washington. My co-host today has been the amazing C.R. Rice, who's only been scared by her dog three times during the podcast. And our guest today has been the awesome Joyce Miller. So we will see you guys next time. Bye.